So I'd like to start the class just by saying uh, this uh, SCA Day of Learning is dedicated in honor of our community's selfless medical professionals. May our learning uh, merit the refuah of our dear founder, Stanley Chira, Shalomo Ben Shoshana, and all those who have fallen ill. And I know, of course, this is a very difficult time for a lot of us. You know, we find ourselves really kind of like a, a stormy wind has just come and blown us over. We don't even know what hit us. That's kind of how I feel. It's how I've been feeling. And, you know, all of our plans, you know, whether I want to take my test or you have business deals going on, we really feel that there's, there's something that is just coming out of nowhere and taking over our lives. And I think in a time like this, the best thing to do is really just turn to introspection, turn to the question of how can I grow from this? This is all of these challenges in life are always going to be opportunities for growth, opportunities for seeing what did I take out of this time? And I, I even think, you know, right now, whoever you're spending your time with in your house, whether it's your kids, it's your parents, for me, you're going to miss this one day. There's a great Western song. You know, you're going to miss this. This is a special time. You're going to look forward. One day your kids are going to be married. One day your parents are not going to be around. Whoever you're with in the house, it's not going to be the same. So cherish these moments. And I hope that this class that, that we're about to delve into will address ideas that are really pertinent to coronavirus, pertinent to the things that are going on today. And because I think that, you know, oh, I don't know who drew on the screen, <laughs> but uh, I think that this is, you know, because it's such a difficult time, the best thing we could be doing is what we're doing right now. And I think the message of this class is supposed to be the idea of when we are overwhelmed with the circumstances of life, when we see the things that life is capable of doing to us, how do we respond? And I think the answer is sometimes you have to surrender. Like Dr. Nasser was mentioning earlier, there's this idea of mindfulness that a lot of us are really getting into these days. And I think that when you surrender to those things that you cannot control, obviously the things in life that you can control are of the utmost importance. But if those things in life that you cannot control, allow those things to just remain as they are and accept them and love life for what it is. And I think that's what's going to come through in this class, I hope. So just to begin, you know, uh, I don't know how to erase what was drawn on the screen. I don't know how that happened, but we'll leave it as it is. So every time I read Sefer Shemuel, I always come back to the same questions. The first question is, you know, you look at Shaul HaMelech, and we all know he was an extremely promising character. There's a million connections between him and Moshe Rabbeinu. He's a really humble guy. And you start to read about what he did. And all of a sudden, he gets the, the melucha, the kingship, stripped from him. And it seems like a really rather harsh punishment for a person with so much potential. And then just to add fire to that, to that flame, to fuel, fuel that flame, we see David HaMelech, who comes along afterwards. And he's got some great qualities, but in no way... Is he without sin? He's certainly not a perfect character, as great as he was. And I think he was a phenomenal human being. He made mistakes. And that's my question is, why was David more deserving of the milucha, of the kingship, than Shaul? So, you know, I saw this great video, and I had these questions for many years. So I saw this great video on alephbeta.com from Rabbi David Foreman. I can't say enough good things about his work. And he drew a couple of connections between Sefer Shemuel and Sefer Shemot. And maybe four or three different connections I thought were really solid, really good ones. And I'll, I'll try to point out the specific ones as we go along. And um, during my year in Israel, I was fortunate enough to spend time in Ma'ale Adumim. And I was able to read through all of Sefer Shemuel. 
And I noticed just connection after connection, like a waterfall just began to open. I felt like, and I said this in the video to invite you guys to this place, I felt like I was floating in the world, in the world of the prophets. And I want to bring you on that journey that I went on when I was in my year in Israel. And I, I want to see that I want to show you that this, this message that emerges from this is a beautiful message, not just about leadership and how to respond in a time of crisis, but also a message about when do we need to surrender to, to God in a time like this. So uh, just to begin, you look at the first connection here between Shemot and Shemuel, and we see something very interesting. You know, you see uh, that Shaul HaMelech is being invited to a, to be coronated, to be inaugurated as king, and he's so humble that he's hiding. And they're asking, where is the guy? Where is Shaul? We want to inaugurate him. And it uses this word halom, havaod halom ish. Now, if you're a reader of the Torah or of the Tanakh, you know that this word halom is pretty rare. And it's so interesting that specifically one of the famous times that it's used is by Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe is getting inaugurated as a, as a prophet. Very similar concept going on there. So Moshe also, it has that word halom. So we're seeing there's something about Shaul that's supposed to remind me of Moshe. It's supposed to remind me of the humility of Moshe, because that's who Moshe was really at his core, at his essence. We know that from the Pesukim. And then we start to read, okay. So now Bnei Yisrael asked for this king. They decided they didn't want only to have God as their king. They didn't want to have the situation only with God and with a prophet. And they decided, let's, let's have a king like all the other nations surrounding us. So once that's established, we, we get to see very interestingly the response of God. But before that happens, Shaul has his first test as king. Shaul's test as king is to see if he could defend the, a certain group of people within Am Yisrael who are being threatened by a nation called Ammon. And the king, Nahash Melech ben Ammon, said, and the, all the people of Yavesh Gilad, I'm going to poke out the right eye of all their men. And this was not only a, a very physically disturbing thing for the people, it was also something that was completely symbolic. It's a way of showing you guys have no power over me. I'm going to assert my dominance over you. And you look at the way Shaul responded. Shaul really passed with flying colors. He defeats them. And look at the words that the Tanakh uses. And this is the real message of this, one of the messages of this class, is that when you read Tanakh, you cannot read the Tanakh unless you have a knowledge of the entire Tanakh. You're not going to gain the full depth of what it's saying unless you know everything that the Tanakh says, because it's constantly quoting itself. It's almost like there's constantly hyperlinks within the text. So the, the Tanakh says, they defeated the, the Ammon uh, nation during the morning watch. The only other time that I know of in Tanakh that disappears is in Shemot during uh, the, the process of the splitting of the sea. Then in the morning watch, God destroyed the Egyptians. And that's when he made the waters go back upon the Egyptians. And it even says, that within the, within the Egyptian cavalry, not one was left. And it says, a very similar statement going on in Sefer Shemuel. Okay, so that's very interesting. What Shaul did right now is comparable, the Tanakh is saying, to what happened in the process of Yetziat Mitzrayim. That's who Shaul is supposed to be. And we see that he has that potential. The Tanakh is setting the bar for him. It's saying, look who he could be. He could be this guy that is such a great leader that he's showing B'nai Israel that God is capable of doing Geulot, just like Yetziat Mitzrayim. That's the promise that he has. And that the connections, of course, continue. 
right? The next thing that happens is the reckoning. God is not too happy that Ben Israel asked for a king. Ideally, the ideal state of our nation should have been to have God and then to have a Navi directly as an intermediary with God for the people. But the problem is Ben Israel are, you know, they're human, they're fallible. They wanted a system of government like all the other nations. And the problem is not so much that they asked for a king, but the reason why they asked for a king. They asked for a king almost because they couldn't handle a direct relationship with God. So Rabbi, the way that... Rabbi, uh, yes, question. Just the thing. Um, you know that there's a book called The Hebrew Republic. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and this is, this, it comes and says that after the printing press, when the Goyim finally got um, to be able to read the Talmud, and all the rabbinical literature, they all turned anti-king. Wow, unbelievable. Because, it's, it's, it's a testament. Based, it really is a testament to this, this literature because it's full of that. And, and they quote Shemuel in everything they say. Like, you know, look how they rebelled against God and God should be our only king. Amazing, really perfect. And we're gonna continue that same sentiment right now. So look exactly how, how God responds, right? Through Shemuel, thank you, Isaac, for that. What do we see? Shemuel says, you know what? Because you asked for a king, source three, God's gonna do an amazing thing. He's gonna bring matar He's gonna bring, it's it's meaning it's, the, it's not the rainy season and yet God's gonna bring rain, which is a huge sign of kelala for the nation. And we see those words, the only other time in the whole Tanakh that it appears, in the process of the splitting of the Yamsuf, it's talking about the great miracle of splitting the sea. So we're seeing that concept turned on its head. God was so happy with us and he was so you know, in love with us when we were leaving Egypt. And now we're trying to put that separation between us and God here in Sefer Shemuel. It's, it's almost painful to read that. And then this is amazing too. We read that every day. We know that from Az Yashir. What do we see? And this is one of the connections pointed out by Rabbi Foreman. Right? Right? Everyone was so afraid of God and Shemuel. So that's, that's a direct connection trying to show you that connection. Right? But here it's not fearing God out of an awe, out of an appreciation. It's fearing God because we're so afraid of what God is going to do to us out of a punishment. So it's saying, look how far we are from our real potential. The next thing, Shemuel says, you know, you're really scared now because I just brought rain in the wrong time. But don't be so afraid because if your king is not so bad, if he does what he's supposed to do, if he sees himself, and this is the key, if the king sees himself as a conduit for the divine, then it won't be so bad. And we see the exact same phrase from Moshe Rabbeinu during Kiri Atiyam Suf. Can't get better than that. You continue along. And now, just to fill in a little bit more of the story, we see the next thing that Shaul has to do is he has to fight a big battle against the Pelishtim. And again, the message that God is trying to set out from immediately for Shaul is this is not your battle to win. This is my battle to win, says God. And because it's my battle to win, if you try to win it in any natural means, you're completely missing the point. 
So what do we see? The Pelishtim start, start gathering, and the way that the text describes it is that they're like, they're like the amount of sand on the shore. You can't even count them, and there's like 600,000 cavalry, and you just you, you can't even imagine the, the crazy outnumbered nature of what was going on. If you ever see the movie 300, you can imagine the Persians coming to fight the Greeks. Same kind of scene being set up here in Sefer Shemuel. So there's Pelishtim gathering. Everyone's getting afraid, all of Ben Israel. Everybody starts fleeing from among Bnei Yisrael, right? And just interestingly enough, we see mention of the Pelishtim during Kediat Yamsuf, seemingly out of nowhere, right? God didn't want to take Bnei Yisrael the way of the Pelishtim because he says, because maybe the people will defect. Maybe they'll be afraid exactly what happens in Sefer Shemuel. So I thought that was just interesting. Shaul counts his men. He started off with a decent amount of guys. What's he left with? He has about 600 guys left. That's nothing. That's a speck of dust compared to what the Egyptians have, what the, uh, what the Pelishtim have. And we see, interestingly enough, during Kiryat Yamsuf, during the, the Exodus, we had of Israel. So it's saying, look, we had a, a couple of powers of 10 difference between what we had going on in Sefer Shemot and what we have going on in Sefer Shemuel. So Shaul is supposed to use this as an opportunity to understand, you know what? Because I'm so outnumbered, let me just rely on God. And it's a very difficult concept to, to grasp, but that's the way that Shemuel was trying to guide him. But Shaul, unfortunately, he, he fails. And what was his failure? His failure was he did not wait for Shemuel in order to bring the korban. He brought the korban that he was supposed to bring but before he was supposed to, before Shemuel arrived, because he was trying to use it almost as a way of coaxing God into helping, rather than understanding, no, I can't use any kind of device to try to manipulate God into saving us. I just have to have real faith that this is God's battle to win, because this is supposed to be a Yetziat Mitzrayim type of battle. All right, so you, you continue to read. And that's when Shemuel tells Shaul, you know what, your Milucha is going to be stripped from you, that's it. And it's like, Wow, that's a really harsh punishment. But the point is that it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the role of a king should be. And we're going to, if you can't see, you didn't get that yet, yeah, we're going to get back to that concept again. So don't worry. Right? So now look at source number eight. Right? It uses the word mashhit. When it talks about the pelishtim, it uses the word destroyer. And I thought that was interesting because it uses the word mashhit also during the, the 10th plague, right? During Makat Bechorot, it was a mashhit. So it's a, it keeps throwing these words, these buzzwords, to remind you of the connection to Yetziat Mitzrayim. And now we see the foil of Shaul. And unfortunately, Shaul now has really failed. He has not grasped the concept that God wants him to understand, which is that this is my battle to fight. And the person that is going to understand that concept is, is his son, Yonatan. And Yonatan has all the qualities that we would have loved to see in Shaul, but are lacking in Shaul. And what do we see now? Just like Shaul had all that promise of being a Moshe Rabbeinu kind of figure, now Yonatan is the guy to have that Moshe Rabbeinu kind of promise. What do we see? The places that Yonatan is passing, one of the names is called Seneh. Literally the same letters as Seneh. So it's the same, it's the same scene that's being, just like Halom for Shaul, again, we're being painted that same picture of an inauguration of another great leader who has the potential of Moshe Rabbeinu. Right, you look at source number 10, and just like Moshe Rabbeinu was the bearer of a staff, he was the one who held this sign with all the otot, the one that showed everybody who God was. And by the way, if you look at Rabbi Menachem Liebteg's explanation of what Moshe's sin was for hitting the rock, it wasn't really hitting the rock. 
it was that he didn't present the staff to the people. And that's kind of what the staff is representing. It's that this is from God. This is not from me. That's who Moshe was, and that's what he was at his best. And that's the same thing going on with Yonatan. We're going to see soon he has a staff. And he also makes otot. He also makes a sign. He tells his weapons bearer. He says, you know what? We have this, this tremendous amount of pelishtim that we need to fight. And he gets the message that his father doesn't understand. He says, you know what? Says Yonatan. It doesn't matter if we're many or if we're few. God could save us no matter what. And in the end, God does save them. And, he, and it shows us he's a foil. He's completely the opposite of his father. His father was trying to, to control everything. And he didn't grasp the concept. There are certain things you cannot control. Just like in coronavirus, there are certain things we can't control. That's what we need to understand at this time. So that's what Yonatan is getting. And he amazing thing happens. He decides to fight just him and his weapons bearer against the whole group of Pelishtim. And sure enough, the Pelishtim start to kill each other accidentally. And there's a tremendous victory because of Yonatan's faith in God. You continue to read. And it says, same word, halom going on again. Everybody's melting away because of the victory of Yonatan. And unfortunately, though, right? So actually, we'll get to that in a second. This was part of the victory of Yonatan. There was a mehuma, there was a great confusion among the Pilishtim. The same word that's used in Yetziat Mitzrayim, that God really confused all the Egyptians during Kiryat Yamsuf. And now this is one of the main connections drawn by Rabbi Foreman. You should know that, Pasuk, right? We read that every single day. So you can't get any more clear than a connection like that. That this battle against the Pelishtim was supposed to have the potential of being such a great victory, just like the victory against Mitzrayim. And then we see something very interesting. Shaul's ego comes into play. Unfortunately, Shaul starts now to, you know, assert his own dominance and his own control once again into the situation. And he says, you know, I'm declaring today a fast day. Isn't that funny? Does that remind you of anything during our times? We've had these fast days being declared by people. But even though, you know, in my humble opinion, it might not be the best medical advice you could ask Dr. Nasser if he agrees. You know, and then we had people kind of canceling the fast. You know, it's not really about the fast. It's about understanding there are certain things we cannot control. And maybe we're just praying and just doing acts of kindness and calling a sick person will do the trick. You know, so right now, Shaul decides he's going to declare a fast. And he says, No one's allowed to eat until I gain victory and vengeance over my enemy. He doesn't realize this is the enemy of God. It's not your enemy. And what happens? Because Yonatan is the foil of Shaul, he's away from the camp. He didn't hear the declaration of Shaul. Yonatan goes and he eats from the devash. And what does he do? He takes, and it says the devash is al penas sadeh. Just like it talks about the man. This is another connection from Rabbi Foreman. The man was al penah midbar. And what was the flavor of the man? The man tasted the exact thing that Yonatan was eating. So we're seeing, and what does the man represent? The man is symbolic of everything we're talking about. The man represents the concept of reliance on God. That's what our time in the desert was. That's what we were entering into during Kiryat Yamsuf. We were entering into a new phase of our understanding of what God is, of what our relationship of, with God should be. So we see with Yonatan, just like Moshe, he's the bearer of a staff, and he dips it in the devash, 
Vayashiv Yado Alpiv reminds me of with Moshe, Vayashiv Yado Alpiv, and he's getting all the signs from God, and he takes his hand and he becomes Sarat. Constantly now we're getting inundated with connections between Yonatan and Moshe, because Yonatan is the new Moshe. Shaul lost that status. Yonatan gets what Shaul doesn't get. The next thing, Right, so now all of a sudden, Yonatan finds out he wasn't supposed to eat. The people said, your dad declared anyone who ate today is going to die. And it's interesting, that's the same language used in Shemot. And Yonatan says, I don't understand. Dad, why did you make a fast day today? If people would have eaten, they would have had more energy to make an even greater Kiddush Hashem. They would have had an even greater victory. And look at that word, just like it says in, during the, the Shemot Parashiyot, So Yonatan is not thinking about his own ego. He's thinking about how could I make the biggest Kiddush Hashem in a situation in which I cannot control much. What can I do to control how much of the Kiddush Hashem is created? And Shaul, by inserting his ego, is actually hindering the, the process of making a Kiddush Hashem. Right, and then the next step is very interesting. You're not, Shaul has another test. Maybe he could kind of gain back some semblance of his glory. Maybe he can gain back some semblance of what it means to really be a good king. And what do we see? He's supposed to destroy Amalek. Now, let me ask you a question. Just based on the Pshat, forget about all the Midrashim, which are great. What does the Peshat say about Amalek? In, Shem, in, in Shemot, what do we see about Amalek? Amalek is the people that right after B'nai Yisrael asked the following question. B'nai Yisrael say, Hayesh Adonai Bekibbenu Imayin is God in our midst? And then Amalek, Vayavo Amalek, Vayilachamim Yisrael Berfidin. So that, what that means is there's a juxtaposition between doubting God's ability or connection with us and involvement with us and Amalek. Hence all the Midrashim about what Amalek represents. So Shaul now, by failing to kill Amalek, it's a very symbolic idea. And this is something I learned only through this. That by failing, it's a symbol of what he was failing to kill within himself. This was an internal battle as well. Just like he wasn't able to internally drive out the concept that God is not involved in his life, or that God is involved in his life. So too with Amalek, it was an external manifestation of his internal struggle with not understanding that God is really in charge of so much of our lives right so god says just like we see in sefer shemot and very interesting just in case you weren't sure there was really a connection here just like the next thing after the milhama with amalek in shemot the next thing we hear so too right before he goes to fight amalek we see shaul is told or he tells them he tells the keni which is the descendants of yitro please get away from here because you did chesed with Bene Israel after they left Egypt. So the, again, we have a juxtaposition with the Yitro people who are again a foil of what, of what Amalek represents. So we're just seeing an inundation of connections with Sefer Shemot. All right, so now, unfortunately, Shaul does not pass the test. He fails to slay the king of Amalek and their animals, and he Again, instead, he defers to the, the wishes of the, of the people, of the underlings. And it's interesting because when it came to declaring a fast, he was fine with going against what everybody else wanted. So he had the capability in himself of doing the unpopular thing. But now he caves and he, he allows the people to go eat from the spoils. It doesn't make any sense. He's not strong where he needs to be strong. And he's too strong when he's supposed to be a little bit calmer and a little bit 
less tough when it comes to the earlier battle. So Shaul, he's showing that he's, he doesn't have the qualities of leadership that we would want in a king, a person who's supposed to be like Moshe, a conduit for God's presence. All right, so the next thing we see, unfortunately, is the, the, this is not me, by the way. This is really, I think this is just the Tanakh speaking here, if you allow me to say that. The connections that we see here are comparison between Shaul and Paro. And I think that's so tragic. What do we see? Shemuel gets up to greet Shaul in the morning, just like Moshe Rabbeinu would always go and greet Paro in the morning. Right? He says, listen, just get away from me. Let me tell you what God wants from you. And the word heref mimeni v'ashmidem is actually used in the sin of the golden calf. So it's, it's kind of telling me this is how tragic it is. It's almost like this is the downfall of Shaul, comparable to the downfall of B'nai Israel during the golden calf. And now this to me is really the, 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 uh, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. This is really an obvious connection. What does Shaul say? He says, please forgive my sin. That exact phrase appears one other time in the whole Tanakh. And that is in Sefer Shemot, right, with Paro, where Paro says, Please take away my sin. And it's so tragic because Shaul was a person who began with so much potential. And now he's ending up like Paro, because who is Paro in the story of Shemot? He's exactly who Shaul is becoming. He's the guy that says, He says, I don't know who God is. Who is this God? And that's what the Tanakh is saying, is that when you act like Shaul without any faith, you become like a Paro kind of a figure. And that's the saddest thing. All right? And then finally, just the end of the, the connections between Shaul and Paro. He didn't see him ever again. Shemuel saw He never saw Shaul again. Same thing with Paro. All right, Paro says to Moshe, Lech get away from me. Be careful. The day you see my face is the day you die. Almost the exact same phrase used in both books. Michael, and, I just have something to uh, uh, just interject. Sure. It seems to me that uh, all bad leaders are the same. Uh, you know, so obviously it's insulting to compare, you know, a Jewish king to Paro. But, you know, when you look at, uh, I don't want to get into a whole side conversation here and interrupt your flow, but if you look at current events and you look at bad leaders, you know, it's like they're all the same. You can replace Kim Jong-un with, uh, with Putin and, yes. uh, and you can replace him with Duarte and, and whoever else you want. It's all the same. They do the same things. They think the same. They act the same. Corrupt uh, leadership is just corrupt leadership at the end corrupt of the is day. Corrupt. Yeah, it doesn't matter who you are. Anyways, and I'm going to make a point exactly to your point. I'm going to make that same point when we're done with all the connections, but I'm glad you, you laid the seeds for that. So beautiful. We're going to get to that exact point in a second, right? We're going to try to bring it to today's leadership, right? So we're seeing now a new phase is going on. What's the new phase? Okay, now that's it. Shaul failed twice. Who is the new guy? Who's the guy that can fill the, the, the shoes of Moshe Rabbeinu? Who's, who is it going to be? Of course, we know it's David HaMelech. So setting the stage for David, who do we see? We see Goliath emerges on the scene. Again, a Pilishti. Every day he would get up in the morning. He would stand up for 40 days straight. The opposite of whom? The opposite of Moshe. 
And what would he do? Sorry, what would Goliath do? He would curse Bnei Israel and curse their God for 40 days straight, the opposite of the, the heights of spirituality that Moshe achieved for 40 days and 40 nights. Right? And then the next thing that we see, um, amazingly, everyone would see this man, Goliath, everyone would run away. They were so afraid of him. Same thing was going on in Mitzrayim. And it's so sad. In Mitzrayim, they were running away from us. Now we're running away from our enemy. Right? Anusa mepene Israel, they had said, during Kiriyat Yamsuf. And even, Oh no, that's talking about Bene Israel being really afraid, but it's the exact same words. So there's a clear connection here between the two books again and the two things. But now instead of it being with Shaul, it's saying, David, now David, can you pass the test of Kiriyat Yamsuf? And so we see, what does David say? God will close you into my hand. Everybody's going to know that Israel has a God. And that's exactly the point that we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for a leader to understand that fundamental concept. Exactly what David says is the opposite of what Paro had said about Bnei Israel, right? Sagar, the word Yisagircha, via Mitzrayim Adonai. That was the goal of Yitziat Mitzrayim. The goal of this battle understands David is that everyone shall know that God that there is a God in Israel. And now I just want you to to sit back and and be in awe of of this amazing diction used by the Tanakh. What does it say? Shaul takes his slingshot. Boom. It goes right into the forehead of the giant, of, of uh, Goliath. And the stone drowned in his forehead. What a strange word usage. Why would you say the stone drowned in his forehead? If unless you were trying to draw a clear connection. Talking about the Egyptians who drowned in the Red Sea like stones. So the point is that this is the final straw. This is saying this is so obvious now. David has passed the test of Kiryat Yamsuf. We've gone past the beginning of Kiryat Yamsuf. This is towards the end of Kiryat Yamsuf. He's the guy who really established himself as a leader because of who he was in his public life, because of the leader that he was in terms of an, having no ego of his own, like Rabbi Solomon Di Sassoon calls the non-ego. And just to finish it off, after David's tremendous victory, but the tzina and nashim, all the women came out. What do we see right after Kiryat Yamsuf? The same thing happens. The women come out. She takes the tof, same instruments. And it even described the Egyptian cavalry. The same word for the, the instruments used to sing the song during our victory after defeating the Philistine. So just to, to end all of this, I think just it's pretty overwhelming to see this number of connections between two different works of literature. I think they're completely intentional by the Navi. And, and you know, the Torah is an amazing work because it's constantly doing that. It's constantly having these hyperlinks. But we, again, we had this question. Why did David HaMelech deserve the Melucha more than Shaul? We, we know that David, unfortunately, goes on to commit some pretty egregious sins in his personal life. I think the answer is as follows. It doesn't, you know, it matters who you are in your personal life on a personal level. And God is going to reckon with David on a personal level. 
But on a national level, what matters is who are you nationally? So I've, I used to hear in like 2016, 2015, people would say they were not going to vote for Donald Trump because they said to themselves, I'm a never Trumper because Trump is a terrible human being. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I listened to Dennis Prager a lot. He was great. He says, you know what? You could disagree with who Trump is in his personal life, but that's not the question here. The question is, who is he in his public life? So I'm not telling you you should like Trump or don't like Trump. I'm saying don't vote for somebody based on who they are solely in their personal life. Vote for them based on their policies. So if you don't like Trump because of his policies, that's fine. But, you know, that's the way we should judge leadership. We should judge leadership based specifically on how they comport themselves in, in terms of their public policies. So I just want to end with the, the two different points. Number one is I look at the way that Andrew Cuomo is speaking, and I see a leader who is really just amazing. And one of his specific quotes was, you know what, if you want to blame somebody for whatever's going on, blame me. And that is a, a statement of such selflessness. That's real leadership in action. That's a person who is able to say, you know what, I am taking responsibility for the situation. And you know what, there's certain things that are beyond my control, but I'm going to take responsibility. And it's that, that's the kind of humility that we should be seeking out from our leaders. And I think this entire coronavirus pandemic has brought out the very best from Andrew Cuomo. I'm not going to comment on anybody else because, you know, politics is politics. But at the end of the day, that's what we should be seeking from our leaders. But beyond that, I think this is the real critical point. And with this, I'll end and I'll try to leave some time for questions. The critical point is what was the message that needed to be understood by the leader? How do you be a good leader in your public life, like we were saying? The way to do that is to internalize the message of Yetziat Mitzrayim. It's to understand what David told Goliath. He says, I'm coming to you in the name of God. And I think this is something I never really understood. I always struggled with this. I would teach this exact class in prior years to kids around my age and even adults. And I wouldn't know what to tell them. They would say, Mike, so what do you want me to do? You want me to just sit there and, and rely on God? And now I really, I think after this coronavirus pandemic, I really understand what this means. I think it really means that when, when things come around in our lives, when, we, when we're blown off our feet by something of this magnitude, we should look back at our tradition look back at, you know, do some introspection and realize how small we are. We're tiny little carbon-based creatures, you know, floating on this ball, this, you know, as Carl Sagan would say, on this pale blue dot in the span of everything, in the span of the entire universe. Just, we're just a rock spinning in, in midair, you know, and, and, it, and we're not going to be here for very long. We're so limited in time and space, and yet we matter, and yet our lives are important. So just be humble by the fact that you're here, by the fact that, you know, you have a life to live. Thank God, you know, you, you have the, the degree of health, that, of health that you have. And we should be humbled by this experience and say, you know, there are things that I cannot control. And with the, final, with the following, I'll say the last thing. A great thinker, Michael Singer, talks about the concept of surrender. And he writes in his book, The Surrender Experiment, you know, there's a way to live life in a way where you stop trying to control everything. You start to go with the flow of life. And I'd like to invite you to learn that lesson from all of this, that a great leader is not one who tries to control everything. There are things that you can control and those things you should, you should try to control and you should try to influence. But know that there are so many things outside of your control and that's what you should call God. And you should open yourself to that flow of energy. 
Open yourself to the opportunities that are coming through you. And you know what? Stop resisting. All this resistance that we have and all the, the, the feeling of loss that we have is really trying to resist something that's already happened. There's no use in resisting what's already occurred. Just flow with what's going on, roll with the punches, and be happy with what you have. Thank you very much for coming. And I want to open this up to questions. Of course, if you have to go to another class, feel free. But I would love to hear from your questions. Michael, it's A.B. Batesh. Hey, A.B. Hi. So the pasuk that we say every day, million times a year, and I, I, today I was reading it today, and I really had more kavanah than usual just because I picked it up. Um, how, how would you, um, what would you do with that pasuk in today's times and based on this class? I think that's exactly it, is that bindivim is the leadership, right? The leader is the person that's supposed to understand that, that, you know, let's stop relying solely on leaders. Let's stop putting all our faith in what we humans are capable of, because that's not really that much, you know, but put our faith in God, put our faith in, you know, just the flow of life, believing and understanding, you know, what, whatever's happening for me right now is what's best for me. And, you know, it might not necessarily be the most comfortable thing for me, but it's something that's humbling. It, you know, there, there are times when we're, we get into a rhythm, we get into a groove, and it's, you know, it's not so healthy because we forget about the fact that we're not here for long. It's something like this that, that blows us off our feet that really allows us to recalibrate. And, you know, you stop, you stop focusing on leadership. You stop focusing on what can I control, control, control. And you start realizing what can I not control? And therefore, because I can't control everything in my life, how can I open myself to all the things that are beyond myself? And that's where spirituality begins. You know, Rabbi Solomon D. Sassuno, I mentioned earlier, his concept of spirituality is known as the non-ego. You find God exactly at the border of where your ego ends. So when you meditate, that's what you're trying to do. You know, that's what the Mishkan represents, according to Rabbi Salam Adin Sassoon. It's a blueprint for meditation. And every layer of the Mishkan is trying to get you towards that center, towards the Kodesh HaKodashim, where God's Shekhinah dwells. And what that means is you're getting to a place where it's almost like you kind of lose yourself in the meditation. You realize that, you know, God, it's almost like there's a piece of God looking through your eyes. So that's the beauty of it, is that when you stop relying solely on yourself, solely on what your leaders can do, it allows you to really appreciate life for what it is. Any other questions? And Abi, does that, does, that, does that answer your question? It's fine, beautiful. <laughs> Anybody else? Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much, guys. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much for, for logging on. And uh, Thank you, Michael. Really great class. It. Say it again. Thank you, Michael. Great class. Thank you so Thank much, you. guys. Bye-bye. Hello, Max. Stay safe. And, uh, stay Thank you. Strong. Be well. Take care Thank of your you, personal Michael. self. Take care of your, your spiritual self during this very trying time. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.